Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. It's time to make mental health a normal conversation with your host, Shane Kelton. Welcome to a brand new year and hopefully for those in Australia, because we have a New Zealand guest today, for those in Australia, a less affected COVID year for us. Hope you all had a great holiday period, a great Christmas and you are looking after yourself and welcome to a new year with a new structure for the podcast and the first guest this year is, as I said, from New Zealand, quite an inspirational person, I think quite humble as well. Who you've you've been through quite a lot, which we'll go into that today. So I'll introduce Scott Martin. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, bro. Yeah, thanks for the intro. Um, thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for thanks for reaching out to come on because um, I think a lot of people in Australia at the moment uh, have. So we're recording this in December for those that are interested. Um, so it's not really past holidays yet, but. Um, it's been quite a tough year for a lot of us in Melbourne, especially. So a lot of people are straight back into works after lockdown ended and, um, yeah, haven't got this sort of time. So it's fitting that someone from over New Zealand who haven't been as much in lockdown um, can come on the show. So we'll, we'll start with a little intro. Um, you are a very strong mental health advocate. Um, through your own battles, um, which we'll start at this, or it might, it's probably not the start, but we'll we'll start with Crohn's disease. So you you have Crohn's disease, you are a cancer, you have had cancer, testicular cancer. Um, so we're going to start with Crohn's disease, and I guess I'd like to little know a little bit firstly about what Crohn's disease is um, before we get into sort of how you were diagnosed and the symptoms you sort of get along the way. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Crohn's disease, uh, bit of a learning curve for me when I was diagnosed with it. Uh, yeah. For those that don't know, it's basically inflammation of your digestive tract. So inflammation can, yeah, pretty much occur anywhere between your, your mouth and your, your ass really. Um, it's, it's a little bit similar to colitis, whereas that kind of tends to occur, you know, not so much between, you know, your mouth and your stomach. It's more, more down the other end. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I said, big learning curve for me when I was diagnosed with it, had never heard of it before. Um, it's, it's not something that's um, overly com- openly, I guess, talked about. I don't know whether there is, but it may be a bit of a stigma around it because people tend to, not want to openly talk about how they've got to eat differently to other people or, or they don't drink or et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah, I think you're right. Definitely. Um, you know, back when I was diagnosed, I don't think it was really, really talked about as much. I think we've got better in that space though. You kind of hear about it, um, you know, a lot more now. And I don't know whether that's because people are more open or whether I'm just kind of in tune to, <laughs> <laughs> to what people have got to say about Crohn's. Um, yeah. Where, where, so how old are you now? So I'm 28 now. 28. Um, and just for interest's sake, this has got nothing to do with anything, but what part of New Zealand are you from? I am actually from the Taranaki region, uh, but I live down here in Wellington. Wellington. Um, back, back on topic, um, when were you diagnosed with Crohn's and what made you... I guess, essentially get these tests because 
from what I know, it can be quite debilitating having Crohn's. Um, the, the, um, I guess the common word that I hear with it is flare-ups. Um, what was it like for you and how did you get help and why did you get help? Yeah, so I was diagnosed with Crohn's. Uh, it was the end of March 2013. So, yeah, not long after my 21st birthday. Um, had probably been having symptoms on and off for a while. Um, and then, yeah, I did drink quite a bit of alcohol at my 21st and I'm not really a big drinker. Um, so I actually thought it had a lot to do with that. Um, cause I was, I was pretty sick in the days after my birthday. <laughs> um, yeah, just keep getting stomach pains and, um, just generally not feeling that well. Um, so yeah, in the end, I think I, I decided to go to my GP and they kind of fobbed me off and like, ah, oh, you know, they thought it was food poisoning to start off with. Yep. And I was like, oh, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, give it a while and come back if, you know, things aren't right. And then, oh, it was one weekend. Um, my stomach was like really, really painful down the right-hand side. And I was like, nah, something's, something's not right here. Um, so you ended up going to the after-hours emergency doctor. And, yeah, they pretty much rushed me through to, to the ED at the hospital and yeah, had a whole lot of tests done there. And again, they kind of thought it was food poisoning there too. And I was like, nah, um, cause a lot of the symptoms are really similar between Crohn's and, and food poisoning. Yeah. Um, and it can take them, you know, a number of months to try and diagnose you. Um, yeah. So anyway, ED did a whole lot of tests and stuff. And, um, then I think, I ended up going back to my GP and she was like, okay, well, you know, now that you've come in a few times, there's clearly something going on mm. and you need to, you know, look into a bit further. Um, and then from there, she referred me to, how did it go? I think we, yeah, I went to a gastroenterologist um, after that. So that would probably been uh, about the May 2013. Yep. So a couple, yeah, a couple of months had passed. Yeah, a couple of months after. Um, and then, yeah, basically had a, a chat to to him about what was going on. Um, yeah, really interesting gastro guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So he was like, okay, we'll do a colonoscopy, and um, you know, we'll we'll try and get to the bottom of of what's actually going on. And I was like, yep, sweet. So then I think within a few weeks that, you know, booked me in and went and then had a colonoscopy. Um, that was obviously my first one. So I had no experience or didn't really know what it was other than a camera was going up my rear end. Um, yeah. And then not long after that, um, yeah, he, he pretty much got me back in and he said, we think it's Crohn's. Um, yeah. So I found out about that. Through through that period of time, like there's a couple of questions here, but the first one is in to do with um, through that waiting period. You know, how was that mentally for you? Like knowing that you had to get a colonoscopy, but not. Uh, well, did the doctor have an, any idea, or did they suggest that what was going on, or, and what was that like for your headspace? You know, being 21 and having what would probably be pretty 
ex- extraordinary pain through that period of time. Um, what was it like for you? For me, it actually wasn't too bad. Um, like mentally, I was still, you know, pretty good. Um, I guess I didn't really know what I was in for and hadn't really thought too much about, you know, what could be coming up in the next few months. How good is being 21 and not thinking about anything? (laughs) Yeah, I was pretty much just focused on work and, you know, hanging out with my mates and having a good time, really. What what was then the diagnosis like, you know, when they told you what, what Crohn's was? Did you know what it was? Was it, you know, shock? Was it? I've got this or was it more, I just have no idea. Please tell me what I'm in for kind of thing. Yeah. It was probably more that I didn't have any idea of, you know, what I was in for. Um, I'd never heard of it before. Didn't know anyone with it. Um, yeah. And I guess from that point it was, you know, a bit of research and then we started talking about medication and the steps moving forward and, yeah, kind of got lumped with a whole lot of information all at once after the diagnosis. Um, yeah, that was a little bit to kind of, you know, take in. And then I guess what, what probably made it a little bit scary after then was that I'd also heard from, you know, I got to know a couple of other people that, have, that had Crohn's and had heard from them that, the gastro I was under um, wasn't necessarily the best. So yeah, a few months later I actually went cause this was all in, um, all in the public system yep. here in New Zealand. And then yeah, a few months later I actually flicked across into the private system and um, yeah, got a second opinion from another gastro here in Wellington. Yep. And um, yeah, I guess he, was a bit more approachable than the first gastro. Yep. Um, yet he kind of actually took the time to explain to me, you know, what was going on. Um, obviously I had questions from, you know, research I'd done. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I also got to have a good chat to him about, you know, the medication and, and what it, you know, made me moving forward. So, uh, like I want to take it back. Cause I think what a lot of people think is with any, I guess, inflammation, disorder, illness through the stomach or the, the colon tract or the bowel is purely fact that someone hasn't, you know, eaten well or they're, they're not healthy. Like, what were you quite a healthy individual? Like, you, you're only 21 at the time, but were you overall quite a healthy individual or were you not? Yeah, I'd say I was probably, you know, quite a healthy individual. Um, up until yeah, probably 2015, 16, I wasn't really one for exercise and sports and, you know, stuff like that, but my eating was, was pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess I knew, I kind of knew the answer to that question. It was a very pointed question um, <laughs> because I think a lot of people have this perceived idea that um, anything, any of these illnesses, and they, and they what, what I guess I'm trying to say is that they say, oh, I eat healthy, there's got to be nothing wrong with me. And it's like, no, if there's symptoms there, get it checked. And I think you're a big believer in if, if there's something going on, get it checked um, before it's too late, essentially, um, which probably comes more into more of your story later down the track, I'm assuming. Yeah, definitely. I was keen to, you know, try and get it, it checked out to see what was going on. Um, 
I was kind of, you know, set on the fact that it wasn't to do with my diet um, because I was eating, eating pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I just had a gut feeling there was something else up. In, in saying that, like, so you've got the, you've got the diagnosis. Um, what other things that you then needed to do to manage the Crohn's disease? Because um, from what I've heard or I've read, um, it's quite a tricky illness to manage because everyone's Crohn's is actually quite different. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Everyone kind of has different experiences. Um, I probably consider myself quite lucky um, because I've got a very, what they call mild version of it. Um, yeah. A lot of people do think it's got to do with diet, but I, again, I think that comes down to the individual and, you know, I've done a fair bit of research myself and different people say different things and, you know, different people who have got Crohn's believe different things too. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, what are your management, uh, the things that you started to do to help manage your flare ups? Um, do you still get flare ups? Um, or is it sort of you accept that sometimes you'll you'll sort of know you do something that you shouldn't be doing, which will give you a flare up kind of thing? Yeah, I think to start off with, it was you know they they told me what I should be eating and what I shouldn't be eating, um, and it was removing things like different vegetables and like especially corn. Corn's a really bad one um, yeah. because you can't digest it properly. Um, even like carrots, like raw carrots, it's, it's fine if it's cooked. Yeah. Um, yeah. Having like too many bananas cause too much, you know, fiber and things like that. So you was learning all about that and how to manage them, what I could have, what I couldn't have. And yeah, I think that was probably for me quite a challenge. Yeah. You, you just want to eat what you want to eat, but you know, you can't. Well, it, ta- it takes, essentially it takes um, the enjoyment out of food. It becomes a chore. Yeah, it does. It really does become a chore. Um, I've kind of, I'm not so wound up about that side of stuff now. I will yeah. eat whatever I want. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, but if I am going through a bit of a bad patch, then I will, you know, pull back and, stick to the basics like eggs and noodles and pasta and yeah, just kind of have something that's not going to upset me too much. Yeah. Yeah. Has it, has it taken you a while to actually figure out which foods, you know, essentially and and not just only foods, but lifestyle like exercise and work and stress has it taken you quite a while to actually figure out what's best for you as well? Because it's not just diet, making diet changes. It's, um, making sure your body's not stressed and that you're looking after yourself in all types of facets with sleep as well. I'm assuming. Yeah. I think that was trying to get all that under control was, was a fucking mission actually. (laughs) Um, yeah. Going from someone who didn't exercise at all to, you know, exercising and going to the gym, that was, you know, a bit of a lifestyle change and, um, and I guess going out with mates and things like that, that kind of changes all of that. Yeah. Um, I'm not so worried about it now, but you know, back in the early days, it's like, shit, can I, 
where can we go? You know, that I can actually eat stuff. And, mm. um, yeah, it's also hanging around with your mates and, you know, you get like stuck on the toilet and shit. You, you kind of feel a bit bad because, you know, your mates just want to go out and have fun and yeah. <laughs> you're kind of sitting there ruining it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I'm trying not to bring this, bring me into this, but yeah, I can relate. Um, we're talking off yes, and, and it's, yeah, I, I have my first colonoscopy on Friday. Um, so it's interesting how these conversations come at, at certain times. Um, and it's, yeah, these conversations come two days before my first colonoscopy. So it is quite interesting. We will wait and see the results of that. But, I mean, you know, for, for the listeners out there, you know, is there anything else you want to mention about, the, about Crohn's disease? Um, you know, I think the, oh, the one thing I want to say is if, you know, if you're having issues with your gut, go get it checked. Um, and sort of if you really feel something's wrong, be sort of persistent, persistent about it because you don't want to leave something, you know, so long it causes quite a low quality of life for you. Yeah, definitely don't don't wait around. Um, if you've got a gut feeling that you know something's up, definitely go get it checked out. Like I'm pleased I went and went and got that checked out and started working towards getting better. And I think stress is also going to a major part to do with it. Um, you know, I started working for New Zealand in a pretty stressful job when I was 18. Um, and, had, you know, been there, what, three years. And then this all of a sudden happened. And yeah, it was, again, kind of a whole lifestyle change trying to manage the stress. And yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I guess stress plays such a big part on, on all of this. They link so much back to, um, our mental health and that, that, that incorporates stress and depression, anxiety, and um, over, overwhelming sadness. We quite often get sick through a lot of that. And it's, it's no coincidence if you've sort of in a stressful job for three years that your body, yeah, because I think we're all, this is my personal opinion, I think we all have, we all have pre, I guess, pre represents I don't know the word but we all have things within our body and then stress can I guess flare them up um so they become an issue whereas if we go through life sometimes these things just completely can go through until we pass away and there's they're not an issue like I know someone that passed away this year that had brain aneurysms and I found out that you're born with brain aneurysms um it's just whether they rupture or not so yeah luck of the draw eh? Really? Yeah. So, um, you you've battled Crohn's disease um, and managed it quite well. And I will I will add a couple of times I asked you questions about your lifestyle. There was a slight giggle and uh, smile and laugh because, which I think shows that um, you definitely probably pushed the boundaries from time to time. But I want to ask you, um, you had testicular cancer as well. How old were you when you were diagnosed with testicular cancer? And same question as before, you know, what made you get that checked? Yeah, so I was um, diagnosed with testicular cancer in 2019. Um, yeah, April 2019. Um, yeah, that was, that kind of came completely out of the blue. Um, 
I was in a pretty good space mentally. Um, although I, I had changed roles within Air New Zealand um, and was in an even more stressful role. <laughs> um, but it was a role that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, but it did leave me quite burnt out. And yeah, on this particular day, um, I wasn't feeling that great. And thankfully, Air New Zealand were pretty good with, well, pretty generous with their sick leave. Um, and they knew my history with Crohn's and, and everything like that. So, um, yeah, it wasn't uncommon for me to have days off every now and again. Yeah. Um, yeah. In this particular day in April, 2019, I was absolutely wrecked. So tired. And I was like, nah, stuff it. I'm, I'm not even going to go in. Um, so yeah, pretty much stayed in bed till I think it was about lunchtime, which is, it's not like me. I'm normally out like four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so just rolled out of bed and was like, ah, oh, I'll just jump in the shower and try and wake myself up a bit. And yeah, fuck knows why, but this, this day I just decided to check and yeah, found a lump. Never ever in my life checked before. Um, yeah. And I was like, was it- fuck. <laughs> Well, can you just like? Obviously, it's quite graphical, but I think it we need we need to talk about this stuff because the reality is a lot of men probably don't check and are scared to check and then don't follow it up. But what was the lump like? You know, um, there's a Carlton player, an AFL player who's just got testicular cancer, and um, he said it was about the size of a pea. Um, the lump that he found. Yeah, so mine would have been probably about that size as well. Um, yeah, you, like it was pretty significant. You could, you couldn't really miss it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I just, yeah, I guess from there I, I was like, fuck. Um, and I just had this gut feeling that, you know, that shit wasn't right. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll go get it checked. So, um, yeah, pretty much booked in with my doctor. And I'm not a huge fan of my doctor. I personally, <laughs> I don't really have a lot of time for her. Um, and this particular day, she wasn't there. So I was, I was quite excited about that. I had another doctor um, who I did kind of like. And so you pretty much went in. And it's, it's a pretty big thing rocking up to your doctor, especially when your doctor's, um, you know, like female and like your mother's age, um, you know, pretty much pulling down your pants and letting them have a, a feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And straight away she was like, I, I actually don't think there's anything to be worried about. Yeah. And again, my gut was like, nah, I'm not happy with that answer. Um, and then I said, look, I've got medical insurance, you know, just can you refer me? We'll go and have an ultrasound. And, um, she was like, okay, if, if that's what you want. And I was like, yeah, that's, I do want that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and luckily the, um, horizon radiology were actually in the same building as a doctor. So, um, she's like, yeah, I'll chuck a referral through now. If you just want to go and see them on your way out, um, you know, then they'll get an appointment booked in for you. So yeah, pretty much did exactly that. Um, when I booked an appointment and I think I'd gone to the doctor on, this is like the, the Tuesday or something like that. And then, um, Horizon Radiology managed to book me in for like, I think it was like the following Friday or something like that. It was, yeah, it wasn't that far away. 
Um, yeah, so I guess it was a bit of a waiting game between going to the doctor and, and waiting for the appointment. Um, yeah, so rocked up to to have the ultrasounds and the the lady doing it. Um, she couldn't find the lump. <laughs> okay. So I pretty much had to show her where it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they like kind of go in with their, their, their thing and go right on it. And then there's obviously a screen at the end of the bed. So you can see everything that's happening. Yeah. And um, they don't like to give too much away. I guess it's because, you know, they're not really allowed to. Yeah. They're not the ones that read, you know, the images and, and do the reports. But they I do remember saying that, and I could see it on the screen as well. She's like, oh, you know, there's not only one lump. And I was like, yeah. what? And she's like, there's actually three and they've all got a blood supply attached to them. Yeah. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> and just from that point, I knew that, it, you know, it was, it was pretty bad and yeah, shit was about to go down. Did you, did, were you scared or like, what was your, what was your overwhelming emotion in that, in that period of time? Like it's, it's like it can be confronting for some. Some people sort of go into denial. Like, what was that like for you? Yeah, for me, I think I was because I I had this gut feeling that you know something wasn't right. I'd kind of got used to the idea. Like, I was like, surely it's got to be testicular cancer. Yeah, um, and I kind of got my head around that. I think, and you know, in the the following couple of weeks after that. Um, yeah, and I was pretty much ready for what they had to say when I went and saw the urologist and yeah, I don't even think I'd park my ass on the seat before he told me what it was. And I was like, yeah, I thought so. So yeah, it didn't really come as any huge shock to me. Yeah. Were you, were you scared at all or like, was it straight for you? Like, as I said before, like it's so different for everyone. Like, that, that word alone can freak people out, you know, cancer can just make people their hairs on the neck stand up. But for you, was it just, all right, so how do I beat this? Um, what's the next step? Or was it, you know, a bit of everything? Um, yeah, I was pretty focused on obviously beating what it was. Um, you know, your head's fucking all over the place. Yeah. Um, you don't really know what's going to happen and you know you're kind of like hoping for the best but trying to get yourself prepared for the same time you know if you have to go through chemo and and all of that stuff and am I going to be, you know still be living in a few months or in a year's time or yeah so your head goes your head runs the thoughts just run it does but I guess I was pretty good at, at controlling the thoughts um because between having the um, the cancer and the Crohn's, I've been through a massive battle with depression as well. Yep. And in a way, I think going through that had set me up perfectly to deal with the whole testicular cancer. I, I weird way. <laughs> no, I I, will, I I don't think that's weird. I, I think it's that's great awareness. Like it's it's a really good thing that you bring that up because and I think a lot of people need to take something out of it, whether you go through depression or anxiety or not, the better you are at managing your life as a whole when this 
when this thing like cancer comes along and it might not be cancer, it might be something else for someone else, you know, it might be um, the house burning down or someone else gets sick around you, whatever it might be, it teaches you the skills to deal with what hits you the hardest. And I think that's essentially, and you're probably a big believer in this as well, I'm jumping to the conclusions here, but why the next generation need to learn how to manage their emotions and learn about their emotions and stuff from a younger age because when, I'll say the word, bad things happen, that's when we, I guess, find out who we are as a person and how, I guess, equanimous we are and how level we are with the world because we we don't get as heightened we go into that management that we've learnt over time. So I think it's a really important step um, thing that you mentioned and like huge credit to you for, for being aware of that as well. Yeah, I definitely think um, kids or young, yeah, especially younger kids, I think that we need to start at a younger age teaching them about, you know, mental awareness and, and all of that stuff. Um, I think it's probably easier to, you know, to learn as you're younger about all that stuff um, rather than, you know, when you're, you're going through a massive battle. Mm. Um, yeah. And I know there's a few few people in Aussie doing some really cool stuff like Matt from Mindful Oz and um, another guy, Ty, that I know that are kind of doing programs in schools now and um, which is really cool to see because, Obviously, we had none of that as kids. Yeah, I had no idea. I've been, I've done talks in quite a few schools, and I'm like, this never happened in my school. Like, we had suicides. I remember we had like six suicides when I was at high school, and every like each one over the period of time, someone would come and tell us in the form room that this had happened, and that was it. That was there was no any other discussions about it. It was just, this is what's happened and you moved on. It was like, okay, so what do we do with this? Um, so, so you're right. Like learning this stuff when you're going through the battle is like what for us, it's, it's what, just what we had to do. But if you can learn this stuff to prevent these major depressive, depressive episodes and you've got the skills for when these things occur, it's going to be much better for the next generation to come. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, yeah, if you, you learn it younger, then it's definitely going to set you up and hopefully you won't battle as much um, or you'll be able to see it in other people. Yeah. Um, I guess I was totally oblivious to what was going on in other people's lives until I went through my massive depression battle. Um, but I wouldn't change it for the world now. Uh, yeah, I'm the same. I wouldn't change it for the world. So. I- so go two ways here. Let's go, let's go, like you're saying, let's go to your depression and then we'll come back to the testicular cancer um, management and stuff after um, because I think you're getting into this, into because you are, your social media is a very good thing to, to keep a track on because it is very inspiring and it's very, uh, it's all about awareness. It's all about helping other people and educating people. And the other thing you do is you just promote the hell out of people who do really, really good things in this space. Um, I know you're an ambassador for, um, oh, no, I've forgotten the name. It's off her brain fade. 
Shake Yeah, that's it. They're only a couple of hours from where I am. I'm pretty fairly certain. Um, yeah, they're not far from you. Yeah, so they do some great work as well. What? What? Did anything happen that made you depressed, or what was this depression battle for you? Like, if you could explain it. For me, I I really do think it was kind of a lead on from the Crohn's um, and coping and you were trying to cope with that. Um, but then it probably also had, well, the people I was hanging around with yep. were probably, well, they were a big influence on me going backwards pretty much. Um, yeah, I had some, some, I've always had, you know, a number of friends. Um, but when I moved to Wellington, I didn't know anyone here. Um, so, you know, I did, did get to know a few people, which is pretty cool. And then, you know, you call them friends and they are your friends, but then you have your core group of friends, you know, that you hang out with and, um, you know, spend a lot of time with. And I actually had, it's about four people I used to hang out with. Um, and three of them were actually from the area I'm from and yep. just happened, happened to live down here. So I either went to school with them or, you know, went to school with their cousins or, you know, knew of them, but didn't know them as such at school. Yep. Um, it's kind of funny how we just, you know, all met down yeah. in Wellington. Um, yeah. And I, I guess when I started to go downhill mentally, it was those people that I reached out to and told, you know, that told them that I was, you know, feeling suicidal and, and not in a good space. And yeah, they were actually quite supportive to start off with. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I did go backwards even further. Um, I guess it's just what I had going on in my life, you know, the Crohn's and, and the stress at work and that kind of stuff. And then gradually these people actually kind of pulled away. Yep. Which is for me was really hard um, because all I wanted to do was, you know, be around these people and talk to them about what I was going through. Um, yeah. And then pretty much leading on from that, yeah, they kind of all virtually disappeared. You know, won't answer your your phone calls, won't reply to your texts, or um, yeah, even it went as far as you know we'd we'd organise to go out and catch up, and they wouldn't turn up. Um, and then obviously I heard comments from other people about what they'd been saying about me, um, which wasn't particularly nice, and then. It pretty much went as far as, you know, I'd get messages from them saying, you know, go and kill yourself. We don't want to be mates with you. Um, yeah. And that just took me further over the edge, eh? Well, how, how, how deep did the depression get? You know, you have mentioned suicidal thoughts and stuff like that. And um, I, I do know what it's like for people to say that as well, to tell, they tell you just to kill yourself. Um and it's, it just, you're almost like, 
it's to be honest, it's the worst feeling in the world when someone tell, says that to you. How, how deep did it get for you? Yeah, that, it really fucking cut pretty deep, eh? Um, especially when you think they're bloody close mates. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's almost 10 times worse coming from someone I think you think will consider as a close mate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can remember having spending a lot of days at home and not going to work, not leaving the house, um, you know, constant suicidal thoughts. Um, yeah, just thinking that I'm pretty much worthless and that I've got no friends. Um, but probably the biggest thing that sticks out is the times where I was just sitting in my car. Um, I used to yeah, go down to the beach quite a lot, which isn't far from where I live. And I, you know, I just been crying my eyes out in the car. Um, and then, you know, you, you kind of start thinking, well, what if I just, you know, walk out into the ocean and keep walking, you know, what's going to happen? Like who gives a fuck really? Um, yeah. Yep. It got that bad. What, like, what did you do? How did you, how did you see a light to start getting help when you're in that, that deep headspace? Because you're, you're now here, um, a very open and vulnerable human being who is doing a lot to help other people. Um, what was the first glimmer for you to, to get out of that headspace? I think for me, the first thing was probably going to my doctor. Um, I remember having a complete meltdown, um, you know, in the New Zealand office. Thank God we were all corporate, so it's not like we were customer facing. <laughs> um, so it was only a few, a few of the, the girls at work that saw me. Um, but yeah, pretty much from that day that I had, you know, big breakdown, um, I was off on sick leave. Um, and then from there it was, yeah, into the doctor, um, pretty much talked to her about antidepressants and, um, yeah, she kind of thought that, you know, that's a good idea. Yeah. Like, okay. So we started playing with antidepressants and that's a rough road in itself yeah. um, because you've got to try and find one that works for you. And of course the doctors will try and chuck you on the newest one that's out and it's not necessarily the best. Yeah. Um, so I can, yeah, I think it was like three weeks after I'd first gone to the doctor, um, we were on about the third antidepressant and nothing was getting better. Uh, just, yeah, still not coping. And then all the side effects from, you know, the antidepressants and stuff. And that was just making me feel even worse. Yeah. Um, so in the end, we I stopped taking them. Um, and then, yeah, it got to the point where, you know, I was pretty bad again. And then, yeah, what happened after that? I think mum started exploring what psychiatrists were available in around down here in Wellington. Yep. Um, so she was down here quite a bit, pretty much just helping me function really because yep. I couldn't function myself. Um, yeah. So then from there we went, managed to get into one of the top psychiatrists down here in Wellington um, cost the fucking earth, but that's all good. 
parents paid for it, so I was pretty lucky there. Um, uh, and I haven't recorded this yet, and this will be released before, but I'm going to um, – I did a podcast two years ago before I went into the mental health clinic and where I probably spent um, probably close to – over the next 12 months, I probably spent close to 15, 16 grand on my mental health. Um, and, and, and didn't work in a lot of that period of time. So I was costing myself probably that as well. Um, but I, and I'm going to talk about this in the podcast, or I would have talked about this in the podcast where what I got out of that is so much more than that money. Now, like I've kept my relationship, I've got a child now and like, so that investment, and I don't know if it's the same view yet, yet. Um, but essentially like the investment, can be so worth it. Was it for you? <laughs> yeah, it definitely was was worth it for me. I guess a I didn't I wasn't paying for it, so <laughs> it was a bonus for me. Um, I was you know very fortunate that my parents were were able to pay for that for me, which is yeah. pretty cool. Um, yeah, I probably got more value I think out of those psychologists than the psychiatrist. Yep, because um, the psychiatrist then referred me to the psychologist and again it was one of the top ones down here in wellington yeah um, it took a wee while to get into because she had a bit of a waiting list and even now i know she's got a massive waiting list she's pretty darn good and yeah. wants to go to her i don't know whether that's the same but that's in in melbourne basically everyone has a waiting list at the moment um it seems to be everywhere i think yeah and i, I people are like oh i don't want to wait it's like you waited you waited 25 years of your life. Like what's, what's two or three months? Like, and I get if, if you're very seriously, seriously like at the brink of suicide, but that's when you need to be in hospital. But if you can wait 25 years, you can find a way to get through two or three months. I genuinely believe people can do that with the right support around them. Um, and you clearly did, but probably struggled through that period quite a bit. Yeah, it did struggle quite a bit, but I knew it's what I had to do. Um, and I think, again, it depends whether, you know, you're in the financial position to, to be able to afford it. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, especially over here in New Zealand, our mental health system is at breaking point. Um, and I genuinely do feel sorry for the ones that can't afford to, you know, pay privately for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite tough. It's the same here. Um, there's a lot of people who can't afford it. And um, to be honest, we probably couldn't afford it either. But, um, yeah, it's – and a lot of – and I've found a lot of the time the, the, free, the free help. There's two things with free help. The first one is it's not always the best help. There's a reason people get paid lots of money. Um, you don't go out and get someone, you know, get a $500 car and think it's going to be the best thing ever. You get one that's worth money. And then the second one is when you're not putting money down, you're not, you're not actually accountable to anything. Now you didn't put the money down yourself, but you're bloody accountable to your parents who did put the money down. Yeah, exactly. I was pretty darn thankful (laughs) that they were in the position to be able to do that. And yeah. And I guess I was also pretty lucky because Mum's been through a similar thing as well, yeah. um, and like she's adopted, so we don't know the whole medical history of her side. Um, 
but you know, we tried, I think we were up to about the fourth or fifth antidepressant. And then mum just pretty much said to the, the psychiatrist, just like, look, can we just try the one that I take? And that's what I take now. Perfectly fine. Been taking it for the last, you know, few years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it kind of goes to show that the latest and greatest antidepressants that the doctors try and give you aren't always the best. Yeah. Yeah. Like the one I take, they now use, like no one ever really hears of it anymore, um, but it's used for patients that have had organ transplants so that their bodies don't reject the new organs. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, it works as an antidepressant for, you know, me and for mum as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, totally weird, but <laughs> it works. <laughs> so like, how long were you seeing the psychologist? How often um, did you ever sort of want to give up this with the psychologist? Um, what other things outside of that did you start to do to manage your mental health? And do you, and what do you still continue to do? Yeah, so I think we, I think it was every, yeah, every third week I'd go in and have a chat with a psychologist and, you know, she would give me tools and um, and tips to try and get through. Um, but I think one of the, the big things was removing myself from these toxic people. I don't know why, but I was clinging on to them. You know, I guess because I considered them mates and I just couldn't see it myself, you know, that they were absolute assholes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I only finally started moving forward when I completely wiped them from my life. Um, cut, that, cut, that was a really hard thing to do. Cut the cord. Pretty much. Yeah. And it's just like, I, if I want to move forward, I've got to get away from it. <laughs> And Christian, you said it was really hard to do. Was the hardest steps you took in this whole rehabilitation of your of your mind and your body? The harder the, the step, the better your life become. Yeah, I reckon. I. It's really, really interesting that because I think it's I think it's with anything in life. If something's really really difficult and challenging and hard the reward at the end of it is so much greater and we always try and take these shortcuts and wonder why we sort of end up back where we ended up before. Yeah. <laughs> and then we see there's just the definition of insanity right there. Yep. <laughs> so outside of, and I like, to be honest, not, I, I did a podcast with Dylan Ruse. I, I don't know if you follow Dylan Ruse as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like he was big on that as well. Like, he, he did cut some people out of his life, but there's groups where he hasn't cut them out, but they're there for, they're not just, they're not a huge part of his life anymore. It's, it's fitting these groups into the certain parts of your life because it's okay to be different. It's okay to need different things. It's okay to have different friendship groups. And um, that's, I think when you, when you are gone through, you know, deep, dark, suicidal things, you do sort of find other groups that you want to be involved with because you don't want to ever sort of go back to that position. So you find people you can grow with and some people don't want to grow and that's there's actually nothing wrong with that. That's up to them as long as they don't drag people down with them. Um, 
And what else outside of that did you do to help manage? I think it was, yeah, a lot of fitting, fitting those people around my life, um, different mates and things like that. Um, but I also think a big, big part of me moving forward was researching and talking to people who had been through what I had been through or was going through. Yep. Um, that's probably another one of the key things that helped me me move forward. Um, you know, I, I do have some mates that I won't discuss the topic with only because I don't know how they're going to react. Yep. Um, but at the same time, a lot of those people, even though I won't bring up my, you know, my, my personal experience with it, I know they're still pretty pro mental health. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my kind of theory on it now is that I won't really have anything to do with anyone that does not back mental health. Um, I'm just not interested in associating with them. Well, it's really funny because I had someone say the other day about someone they knew and they don't believe in mental health. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck do you mean? Like, actually, that's so irrational. Like we have, <laughs> we have physical health, we have nutritional health. Like, what do we just not have a brain or a mind? Like, is it just not part of who we are? Like, we clearly have those body parts and and that um, stimulation within our body. Like, how can we not have it? It just it just doesn't honestly doesn't make sense to me. Um, how oh, people can fucking crackers? It, it's <laughs> it's so bizarre because we just. And we just have it. It's just part of who we are. Like it's just that's Yeah, it's part of who you are, all right. And I think some people are obviously just so fucking oblivious to it. And I, I just had a thought then, like so I have a lot of mates who have sort of started to realise that mental health is a thing, but it's a lot of people just are happy all the time. But that's their state of mental health, essentially. Yeah. Like it's not that's still that's their emotional and well being and their mental health. That's just that's theirs and how it is at the time. So I think that's where a lot of people come in this. I don't, mental health's not a thing. Well, so yeah, but that's, that's a rant for another day. Um, <laughs> you, you've, you, you know, you work through a lot of your um, issues with the psychologist and you, your friendship groups and yeah, you're on antidepressants and stuff like that. How long did it sort of take you to feel your, your life to turn around for, and for those suicidal thoughts to be in, in control? Oh, it would have been a good few years. Um, so, yeah, that kind of depressive episode would have been 2015, 2016. Um, yeah, so it probably took until at least, I would say, oh, 2018. Yeah. So, you know, actually try and get back on a even kill and remotely want to go out and do things and <laughs> associate with people. And <laughs> it, is, it is, it's like we, we laugh, but it's, it, it's that literally it's that brutal. You genuinely don't want to associate with the world. Like you, you get in this really deep, dark place where you think the world is against you and it's completely irrational. Um, but that's where your mind goes 
what are the what are the things now you do to manage your mental health? Um, and then I think we'll duck back to the testicular cancer um, and that sort of ongoing journey. Sweet, yeah. No, I think um, the biggest thing that has really helped me is exercise. Um, you know, again, going from someone who didn't do anything. Yep. Now going to the gym like four or five times a week or even more. Um, yeah, that's one of the things that's really, really helped me. Um, and another major thing is probably having, like I've got really supportive friends now. Yep. Um, these are all people, you know, I didn't know when I was, you know, in that deep, dark hole. Um, but now, you know, I do have all these supportive people that I can reach out to and um, discuss, you know, if I'm having a down day, um, you know, I'll just ring them up. I'm actually, you know, quite fortunate that a lot of my mates are cops, um, you know, and they see it in their work day to day. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're pretty understanding and, um, yeah, even one of my mates, he's actually just moved back to Wellington from Auckland. Um yeah, he's a cop, cop too. Um, he's been through similar things himself. Um, and, you know, yeah, as part of his job, he, he deals with that. And um, he's really good just to, you know, ring up and, and bounce ideas off. And um, he has his really shit days too, and he'll ring me when he's not feeling good. So we make it work. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I, love the word, uh, I love the words bounce ideas off because I think that's quite often what it is. Um, it's not trying to fix each other or fix yourself. It's bouncing ideas off and seeing in the end what sticks and what works um, for you and, and for the other person and for society because what works for me might not necessarily work for you and what works for you might not work for your friend. Um, so it really is those bouncing of ideas, which essentially is where the gold is. Yeah, definitely. Um you've got to have those supportive people around and, and those people that you can bounce ideas off. Um, yeah. Otherwise you're not really going to move forward. Brilliant. And like, it's a credit, credit to you for like managing your way to get through what I know from experience and probably a lot of the listeners know from experience is a really brutal experience. Um, but as you said, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have it any other way because it's taught you probably more than, what you would have learned otherwise. And it's, as you said, it gave you the skills to deal with a diagnosis, which is quite tough to deal with, with the testicular cancer. What, where did you go from after the diagnosis? What, what was involved um, with that? Yeah. So pretty much from the, the diagnosis, um, I think I had, two weeks until I had an operation to remove my left testicle. Um, yeah, that two weeks was kind of my head was all over the show, I yep. guess, because yeah, once I was at the urologist and he, he told me it was cancer, then you've got all these other decisions to make and all of a sudden you've got to start thinking about, do I want to have kids in the future? Um, which you almost don't have the mental capacity to actually deal with that. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and yeah, so you've got to try and get through all of that. And then, um, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but here in New Zealand, um, the government will actually fund you to store sperm. Okay. Um, if it's, you know, if you've got cancer. Um, so yeah, I suddenly found myself having to make all these decisions. Um, and I was like, well, if, if it's free, I might as well do it. So I, I went and banked sperm. Yeah. Just in case, you know, I might not even need to use it. Um, but it's serious. I kind of see it as like an insurance policy. Um, yeah. If, you know, if I need to use it down the track, then, you know, it's there to use. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, pretty much two weeks later, it was out to the hospital. Um, yeah. And they pretty much whipped the left testicle out. I had no idea what was happening really, other than that they were taking it out. Um, didn't get told any information about how they take it out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, pretty much rocked up on the day and, you know, they go through everything and check everything off. And, um, I'd actually discussed with the urologist that I was going to have an implant. Um, and then yeah, rock up on the day at the hospital and the surgeon was like, I don't recommend it. Uh, I had five minutes to pretty much make a decision, um, as to whether I was going to get it or not. And, um, yeah, the surgeon was like, look, nine times out of 10, if I put them in a month down the track, the guy will come back and say, take it out. So I was like, okay, we're right. We're going to go with it then. So yeah, pretty much woke up. I think I was there for like four hours. That's only day surgery here in New Zealand. I don't know about Aussie. Um, but here they pretty much whip you in and whip you out. Um, and I, yeah, I woke up kind of in a bit of pain, but not where I was expecting. Yeah. Because they hadn't told me how they were going to do it. Ah, uh, yeah. I just assumed, you know, that they cut your sack open and fucking pull it out and cut it off. Yeah. Um, but they actually kind of go in like just down from your belly button. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah. And cut a, cut a big line and go in and like fish it up, fish it up and do what they <laughs> need to do. So for me, I was really fucking bamboozled when I woke up as to why I was so sore up there. Um, yeah, it took me a while to, obviously I was all drugged up as well. Yeah. So probably a tip for anyone, a tip for anyone going in for this procedure, ask the questions before you go in. <laughs> so you're not as confused when you come yeah, in. Yeah, definitely. I kind of wish that that explained all this <laughs> to me, but I guess I'd never known anyone else who had been through it. So yeah. didn't know to ask those questions either. What was, um, what was the process after there for you? Uh, so this is 2019. So only a couple of years ago, um, did we, did they talk about whether the cancer had spread, um, whether, you know, was there further checkups, all that kind of thing? Yeah. So they, they send it off, uh, you know, testing and to work out what type of cancer it is. And I think from memory, it was a, a month's wait between having the operation and actually going in to see the oncologist. Um, cause it takes some ages to work out what type it is. And, um, yeah, so that period was pretty hard, just waiting because you're like, shit, well, what type of cancer is it? Mm-hmm. 
how bad is it? Am I going to need chemo? What's going to happen moving forward? How sick am I going to get? <laughs> um, yeah, you got all these questions going around in your mind. Um, that, 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 to be honest, no one can answer because they don't know the results yet. No, exactly. Um, so you've just got to kind of learn to live with it because no one can help you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then finally went in and saw saw the oncologist. Um, and yeah, he's like, oh, it's actually pretty good news. You've got one of the the best types that anyone can get. And it's in its really early stages. And we've got it, you know, just in time. And he's like, you know, you're really lucky. You don't need to go through chemo. We'll just, you know, keep an eye on it and send you through for x-rays and CT scans. And um, yeah, I guess I've been pretty lucky. They have kept, kept an eye on me. Um, yeah, and everything has been good. How how thankful and grateful are you for going and getting it checked as early as you did? Because if you, you know if you did leave it, it probably would be. And from what history says, it would be a completely different story. Yeah, I was pretty pretty damn grateful. I probably acted on it straight away, eh? Um, rather than leaving it. Well, I dare say if you'd left it for six to 12 months, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, I dare say you'd probably be in chemo or be um, getting some treatment probably still. So, Yeah, I'd say so. I, um, yeah, I kind of, I hate to even think about that and about what it, it could have been. And um, yeah, I actually, I went into the oncologist on Monday. I had an appointment. Um and yeah, we, we're just about approaching the three year mark of being all clear. So yeah, April next year. Um, yeah. And, you know, he did say to me, he's like, if anything was going to come back, it, it more than likely would have come back by now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's good. And I guess like now my oncologist is actually one of my colleagues as well. So um, it's kind of weird how the whole, whole thing is turned around and I can give him a bit of shit and he'll give it back. And yeah, you have a really good laugh about it now. Whereas when I was going through it all, like I didn't even know the oncologist, you know, he was someone obviously I just met and now um, he's got to come through to me to get stuff done at work. And yeah, it's kind kind of weird. Uh, and it's it's so important, I think, down the track, not in the moment, that we we are able to sort of laugh at these situations and um, not take things too seriously um, while they are serious at the time and they need to be taken seriously. There is a point where you can sort of look back and laugh at moments or, you know, the fact that, you know, someone the same age as your mum was feeling your junk and... Um, how uncomfortable that would be for anyone, any male in their twenties. Um, I think that would be, yeah, very, very. Uh, and I think, to be honest, I think that's the main reason why guys don't get get checked. They don't want yeah. someone else touching their junk, and it's just like it's literally for you know maybe a couple of minutes at max. Um, yeah, just potentially yeah. say, yeah, yes, exactly. Just it's and it's ego. It's an ego thing. It's. A, it's a pride thing. It's just go because they don't, they're, they're professionals. They don't think about it in any other way than what they need to think about it. So, nah, exactly. But I, I guess in a way, I was probably quite lucky that through the whole Crohn's thing, because I was used to, you know, doctors and shit looking up my ass and shoving cameras up there. And like, 
it just didn't bother me. And I yeah. think, you know, that many doctors and nurses have seen my bits now. Like I just, I couldn't give a fuck really. You just get over it. You get to a point where, meh, who cares? <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, to be honest, it's the way you kind of need to be with your health when you're seeing professionals, because it's, it's just too important. It's too risky not to, to get those things checked. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah. Is there anything you would like to tell the listeners, um, maybe some advice, maybe some of your favourite quotes, um, anything that you want to tell the listeners as we sort of end the podcast in a couple of minutes? Um, probably, you know, one of my biggest quotes is, you know, just keep on keeping on. Like don't fucking give up no matter how hard it gets. Just, yeah, do what you can to get through and definitely, you know, seek the support of your friends and and those around you and fucking cut toxic people, get rid of them. Yeah. It's not worth having them in your lives. Just as hard as it is, just, yeah, get rid of them and stop associating with them. Bring advice, mate. Um, I... I hope the listeners, I think they will, they'll get a lot out of this, this one. I think Benny Ma would have speak up about, you know, all three things, Crohn's, depression, suicide, and um, testicular cancer. He's, he's brave. It's courageous because it's, and why it's brave and courageous is because not many do it. Um, you know, in 20, 30 years time, I hope it's not brave and I hope it's not courageous. I hope it's, these conversations can happen day to day and hopefully our conversation here will enable um, other groups of guys to sit down with each other and um, have a chat about what's going on. And as you said, brainstorm ideas and, um, you know, find solutions for their own health and happiness. So thanks for joining me today, mate. Um, For all the listeners out there, I'll share all the links that I can to Scott Martin's Instagram to any of the places we, mentioned and mindful Oz uh, and the like and I'll also share some links for checkups for testicular cancer in New Zealand and Australia um, we'll, cross the, we'll cross the ditch with these ones today so thanks for joining me uh, I really appreciated your time and uh, I hope people get a lot out of this yeah thanks bro it's been, been good chatting Thanks for listening to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. If anything in this podcast has brought up difficult feelings, please call Lifeline on 13-1144. For any further information, or if you want to bring your story to life, contact Shane at shane at vitalityfit.com.au. That's V-I-T-A-L-I-T-Y-F-I-T-T dot com dot A-U.